um, today. Today we conclude our series uh, that we've been walking through uh, called Voices. And, um, and I'd like to share with you something real briefly. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Isaiah chapter 61. And we'll just be reading one verse, uh, verse 7. And of course, as always, it'll be available to you on the screen. While you're getting there, just want to acknowledge a couple of things. Matt alluded to it. I want to make sure it's clear and uh, that we hear again. Uh, just because sometimes uh, we're, we're, we're guilty of not celebrating enough. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, we prayed for our sister, Ticey, and uh, she is here today and uh, does my heart good just, just to see her here. Uh, we lifted up uh, the Murdochs, and uh, the not-so-miniature Murdoch is in the house today. That's a big old boy, I tell you. And, um, and Kat has had that baby. Genevieve, is, she's not here today. She's not in here. Our grandparents are here. And um, yeah, and so we're so excited about that. And there's just a ton of things, ma'am, um, as um, George alluded to and Matt as well, that we can be so grateful to God for. Things that, as we sang for a period of time today, that just make you want to say hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. Praise be to Jehovah. Amen? Amen. So, um, and I'm getting a little echo. Maybe you could turn me down just a little bit. You know I have a big mouth. Um, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7. This is what you'll find. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of your disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Amen. Amen. Man, there's this old reading, man, Thomas Costain's uh, writing. It's called The Three Edwards. And in The Three Edwards, Thomas talks about there is a duke of what is now modern-day Belgium uh, who has an issue with obesity. So much so that the people in his own area referred to uh, this king, who, or this duke, by the way, whose name was Reynald. They referred to Reynald literally as Duke Crassus, his Latin nickname. And Crassus literally means fat. So all throughout his own region where he ruled, when people saw him, they would scream out, hello there, Duke Crassus, or fat. Story goes that his younger brother, Edward, then comes and overthrows his very own brother. And when he is brought before the people to discuss how he is mistreating his own older brother, uh, Edward then says that I have done no such thing to my brother. I have not imprisoned him. I have not treated him cruel. I've simply given my brother that which he cannot turn away from. They said, Edward, what are you talking about? He says, well, what I've done is I've put my brother in a room that does not have any doors or any locks. It does not have any bars on the windows. My brother can walk out that door whenever he feels like it. He says, the problem is, is that as my brother sits in the room day in and day out, we slide a huge platter of food in the room multiple times throughout the day. And my brother is more than free to walk out the room whenever he can walk past the food. He's imprisoned to his own sin, his own struggle. What's in your life that you've been imprisoned by? What's something that you just can't muster the strength to walk by? Have you ever felt imprisoned by your own actions? Things that you just can't. You know, you, you know we, we've got those things, man. Sometimes we're so spiritual. 
And there are moments in our lives where there are things that we are experiencing and going through. And you know how you may be that person, you just got to say it. You, you got to say it, but then you wonder why there's always some type of negative repercussion by what comes out of your mouth. What are you imprisoned by? What's that thing, those things that are holding you hostage and you could be free, but you would rather take it in? In our passage today, Isaiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah, who at this time they were immersed in sin. And so war was all around them and their leaders refused to trust God for their future. And so if you read the book of Isaiah, the latter half of the book, you'll discover that Isaiah is prophesying about the upcoming persecution and exile that the nation will be experiencing because of their disobedience and more importantly, their lack of trust in God. And I would argue that the same thing applies to us today, that we suffer from the very same condition that Judah did. That the kings would rather try and find other ways to survive and succeed, mainly through things like partnerships and alliances with other people, other kings, other nations, rather than trusting God. And so Isaiah tried to tell them, listen, rather than trusting those partnerships and alliances, we don't need them. Trust God only. And for some reason, the kings, to the kings, that didn't seem to be enough, and they found themselves enslaved and exiled because God was not enough. And my brothers and sisters, whenever God is not enough, the tendency is to try to make God out of things that aren't God. What in your life are you trying to fit in your God-sized hole in your heart? Who are the people who are, what is it that you have surrendered your life to and now you find yourself enslaved and exiled to that relationship or to that thing because you don't trust God enough? What is it that you're so subject to that you find yourself distant from God? You feel so shamed and disgraced by it that it's difficult for you to pray at times. It's difficult for you to move forward because you feel helpless because you think that your freedom will come by then. And even though you know after trial and trial, after test after test, that nothing will come for you feel so enslaved to it that you feel like if I just give it one more shot, maybe this time it'll work it out. What's that thing? Who's that person that you just keep trying to make fit? You just try to make things fit. Just, just want it to work out, man, you know. And we, and we say, well, you know, the only reason that there's a struggle here is because God really wants me to put all of my effort into it. Well, baby, if you keep putting all of your effort into it and if in return nothing changes and it only gets worse and worse and worse, I, I think at a certain point in time you got to recognize God might not be there. He, he just might not be there. This may not be what the Lord is calling you to. And so for those of you who are just like the nation of Judah, like me, I, I, I can't point my fingers at you. I'm guilty of the very same thing. Listen to what Isaiah prophesies to the land of Judah. He says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. I got three quick things for you today I want to share with you. The first thing is this. Failure does not mean finished. 
Failure does not mean finish. We live in a world, check this out, we live in a world where our future is often predicated by our past. We learned this at a very young age. Let me share some examples for you. If you are a good little boy or girl, I will reward you with something. But if you are not a good little boy or girl, I'll punish you. Um, if you make good grades in school, we'll celebrate you and promote you to the next level. But if you do not do well in school, we'll hold you back and punish you for not paying attention, for not doing well, for not living according to our standards. If you work hard on your job, you'll receive a promotion, perhaps even get a raise. But if you do not, you could be fired. That's the way in the world in which we live in. The problem with that is not those examples exactly, is that it rolls over into our spiritual lives. We seem to think that God is looking for us to be good little boys and girls who make good grades and work hard. And if we do, God will bless us. He will take us up to the next level, possibly promote us. But if he doesn't, he will perhaps leave us behind. He won't promote us. He will not reward us for our things. He will punish us for our faulty deeds. The cycle continues over and over and over again. And so what happens in life is this. We are human. We are people in our human nature we cannot always do good all the time. And since we cannot always do good all the time, we find ourselves in this repetitive pattern of making mistakes, sinning against God. And then we then begin to think that the way our, because of our behavior, God is looking at us according to that. So the natural um, process after that is then, since that's how God looks at me, I will no longer continue to try. I'll no longer continue to try to do better, to be better, to come before God, to, to try to give God my best. I'll no longer aspire to a healthy spiritual life because I just can't make it. And since I can't make it, God isn't pleased with me. So perhaps this is my plot and lot in life. We got a lot of people who just refuse to plan for the, the hopeful future that they have. And ultimately, they spend a lot of time in disappointment and shame because they just can't measure up. We're sitting with the father and their daughter this past week as we was up at the lake, and uh, we ended up baptizing the daughter. And the father was telling me that um, he almost messed it up for his daughter uh, because as he was having a conversation with her before they came and spoke with me, his daughter in her in tears said, Dad, I don't know if I need to do it because I don't feel like I'm worthy enough to be baptized. I'm not good enough. And so the father tries to trace what's going on in my daughter's heart and in her life that she feels like she doesn't measure up and is not good enough for the baptism. And he said, Pastor, it looked uh, as I traced the origin of this story that I was at fault because I was so busy trying to make sure that she understood the why theologically and doctrinally according to the standards that I set for her that I missed her heart and because I missed her heart so busy trying to make sure she's got the legalism down pat I missed her heart and almost missed the chance for my daughter to meet Jesus that's what's happening with so much of humanity we're so caught up in trying to do things a certain way to measure up that we can miss the heart of the matter because the heart is the matter at hand. And we're trying to make sure that people measure up, that we measure up. But the reality that the Bible tells us is that while we were still in our sin, Christ came for us. It wasn't meant for us to measure up. It was only meant for us to trust God. So we 
can't allow our previous failures to hold us back. So Isaiah recognizing and prophesying to the nation of Judah, seeing that they can't measure up, he speaks on behalf of the Lord and says, I know that you've messed up and I know that you're immersed in sin, but God wants to let you know that instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your heritage. The key to moving from shame and disgrace of the past is entrusting life's plans to the great I am. To the great I am. For he told us himself to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast it upon him. Entrust it to him. Not only this, not only are our our past failures, they, they don't work or hinder us. The second thing is this, that blessings are benefits and not byproducts. Blessings are benefits and not byproducts. Notice the terms that he uses here, inheritance and inherit throughout that passage of Scripture. You you don't earn an inheritance. It comes with being an heir. Um, Here the Lord is saying, instead of you living in the shame and disgrace of your past, why don't you receive a double portion of my inheritance? We don't really know what the Lord means exactly when he says a double portion. We can debate it. Scholars have been debating it for years. We don't know what a double portion is exactly, but I tell you what, whatever it is, I want it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ain't sure about it, but if it's coming from God, give me some of that, Jesus. Give me, <laughs> give me some of that, whatever that double portion is. The reality is this, we don't need to get caught up on what does a double portion look like, how does it feel, how does it sound, what does it taste like. All of that is irrelevant. The most important part of this is that God says rather than shame and disgrace, you're getting a double portion. Please note this, that as God is prophesying this to the land of Judah, they are currently immersed in sin. They are in the middle of sin right now, in the middle of not trusting God, in the middle of trying to make alliances with other lands and other kings, trying to figure out if they could get themselves out of their own mess. They are not trusting God, and God hears that they are not trusting God, and God says, whatever you're doing right now is going to lead to shame and disgrace, but rather than leaving you there, I'm going to lift you up and give you a double portion of whatever it is that I have for you. God is looking at you. He is seeing your stories. He hears your heart. He knows your pains, and the the Lord is saying, I am not going to leave you there. I'm going to raise you up because the Lord has something greater for us than what the enemy is telling us inside of our hearts that he's trying to tear us down with. The blessings that we are experiencing that are coming from the Lord, they are not byproducts. They are benefits of the relationship. Uh, we were just at camp. Can I stay at camp for a moment? I loved camp this week. Man, we were in camp. Uh, my daughter talked to my wife and she says, I feel like I'm the president's daughter here. She and another one of her friends went with us to camp, and everywhere that they went, somebody was blessing them with something else. Wanted to take them to the store, took them and gave them ice cream. We left out yesterday morning, walked out the door. There was a care package on the steps. Mothers were just surrounding them and just wanted to love on them. And everywhere they went, somebody was holding a conversation and telling them how proud. They didn't even know them. We're proud of you. We're just so proud of you. The reason why wasn't because of anything that they've done. They were receiving that blessing because of the relationship. She felt like the president's daughter because of her father. 
Now, that's just a certain level. I'm nobody. Y'all know me. The reality is that the people up there in Portage Lake thought more of me than they really should have. <laughs> but what about our Heavenly Father? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would it look like, man, if you walked out the doors of your house every day recognizing that you are a child of the King? How would your relationships look? How, how would your life feel if even through the turmoil of life, the struggles, the battles, the storms, if you recognize that whatever it is that I'm experiencing right now has nothing to do with my DNA, it has nothing to do with who I am because I am a child of the king. You can talk about me all you want. I'm still a child of the king. I can make mistakes all that you want. I'm still a child of the king. I may be in shame and disgrace sometimes, but I'm still a child of the king. I don't always act like it, but I'm a child of the king. And even when life doesn't work out the way that I hope it will, what I will know is this, the Lord promised me a double portion. So you may not like who I am right now, but I am a child of the king, and I am who my daddy says I am, and I will receive every promise that he said that I would. Last thing is this, plan for your promise. If God is saying that this will come, if you will receive him, then that means we ought to live with a certain level of expectation. God is speaking to a people who are currently not performing to the standards that he hoped that he will. And what God is doing is he's looking at his children, and although his children are not living up to how he raised them, he's speaking to the children that they can become. That's what I love about our God. He sees us where we are, and rather than speaking to where we are, he speaks to us as that which we will become. He's looking to his children, and he's saying, listen, you ain't there right now, but there's something coming for you. And I believe the reason why he's giving them this lesson, this, this prophecy, is he wants them to begin to work on building a foundation so that they can soon become the people that he's going to bless. I know right now, man, it doesn't seem logical. It may even seem irrational at times. But even if it isn't working out for you the way that you hoped it would, the posture of the promising believer is this. My breakthrough may not come today. It may not even come tomorrow. I may sow my seed. I may spin around seven times. And I may wake up the next day and I may still be at the same place. But what I'm not going to do is allow it to change my character. What I'm not going to do is allow it to, to suffocate my hope. Yeah. I will wake up every day trusting and believing that the Lord's going to do it. Yeah. And when he decides to do it, I'm going to make sure that I'm in the place to receive everything that the Lord has for me. Yeah, yeah you've got to plan for the promise. You've got to prepare yourself for what the Lord is going to do inside of your life. Prepare yourself and see and watch the salvation of the Lord take place. Oh, it's all throughout Scripture, man. People who have suffered, people who have sinned, and in the end what they discovered is that the Lord was doing something in their heart and in their life, and they were preparing themselves for what the Lord was going to do. Imagine Jacob, that trickster by any chance. As we read of him in the book of Genesis, at some point in time in his life, you got to recognize, man, perhaps Jacob was a little tired. He was tired of, of, of the, 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 the deceit and the sin that he experienced with his family. At some point in time, you got to get tired of all that. You got to get tired of being betrayed by your very own uncle. You got to get tired of those things. At some point in time, I'm sure Jacob prayed, God, just help to change my situation. I just want something different. 
And we all know the story. Perhaps you don't. uh, Jacob's story didn't turn around just in a day. You're talking about decades. Decades of mistake after mistake, betrayal after betrayal, sin after sin. Yet in one day, the Lord decided that he was going to meet Jacob. And when the Lord met Jacob, the Lord met Jacob exactly where Jacob needed the Lord to meet him. And the work that he performed in Jacob wasn't necessarily the work that Jacob hoped that the Lord would perform in him. Yet so Jacob spent his entire life running away from whatever he had experienced. The Lord said, you will run no more. And in a dream, as he wrestled with the Lord, the Lord punched him in the socket of his hip. And Jacob walked away crippled with the limp. I believe the reason why the Lord punched Jacob in the hip wasn't just so Jacob couldn't run any longer. But I believe that the problem with Jacob is that he ran too much that he could never stand still and see God work out a situation. And part of the issue that Isaiah is prophesying to the kings of Judah is that you're spending so much time running around trying to formulate and forge alliances with other kings. At some point in time, God said, I'm going to have to enslave you and exile you so that you can sit still and watch me work it out. My brothers and sisters, my prayer for you is not always that God will give you a way out. My prayer for you is that sometimes God will make your situation so tight that God will make it so hopeless at times that rather than you recognizing a way out, you have nothing else to do. But as Joseph was in the pit, once his brothers abandoned him, but look up and trust that the Lord will work it out for you. I don't always pray that the Lord will make a way out of no way. I pray that the Lord will open your heart to see that God will work it out just the way that he planned that it would. And that when you come out of this situation, no longer will you find yourself in another situation the same way, but you will learn what the Lord hoped that you would learn in the mess that you were in so that you can become the person that he wanted to create in you so that you can receive the fullness of the promise that God has for you. I want you to be a promise keeper. I want you to be someone who works for the promises, who prepares for the promises and knows that the Lord that we serve has a double portion for you that will keep you, sustain you, and will be a hope for you when you're at your lowest point and that you will make your way out. My prayer for you. It's our prayer for this church and for this series that you will hear the voices of the prophets speaking to you that instead of shame and disgrace, you will rejoice in the inheritance of the promise of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, worship team comes. I want to take a moment and to remember the greatest promise that humanity has ever experienced. Um, I always think about the imagery of what we know as the Last Supper. And I think about Jesus and his encounter with his disciples. Such an intimate moment. always say, I think it's intimate because Jesus says these words to his disciples. I have long awaited to have this Passover meal with you. Jesus was hopeful 
of the encounter with his disciples. During that time, he established what we call the new covenant. And that is for the sacrifice that he's about to experience, that his body would be broken. you and I. Before you get up and you move and you come to the table, try to reflect on what that means for you. That Jesus suffered not for the collective. It loses its power when we want to just describe it to our neighbors and to the whole. Think about how precious this story is that I believe that he thought about all of us. Says that the very hairs on your head are numbered. He knows us intimately. He says, My body is broken for you. But then his blood was shed, and the Bible tells us that there can be no remission of sin without first the shedding of blood. So, because of the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross more than 2,000 years ago, instead of shame and disgrace, we have an inheritance, a double portion. So I'm going to pray real quickly, and then after I pray in your own time, let us collide at the table. Just in case you were wondering, uh, the crackers, for those who